many people are surprised to learn that Marx is buried in London, much less that his grave is adorned with an enormous sculpture and monument. I met with John Shepard of the Friends of Highgate Cemetery Trust, who explained how Marx ended up here and the origins of the current memorial. Probably the most frequently asked question about Marx in Highgate Cemetery is why is he buried here? And the short answer is that it was effectively his local cemetery. He was living in Kentish Town at the time, and when his wife Jenny died in 1881, she was buried in Highgate Cemetery. Not at the original spot where the Marx Memorial now is, a spot somewhere about 200 yards behind that in a much more insignificant and perhaps slightly more anonymous place. Subsequently, of course, Marx was then buried in the same grave as his wife in 1883. The grave was moved in 1954 under the auspices of the British Communist Party, who wished to move it to a spot which was more prominent and which was more accessible to the large number of visitors who wished to come. So the remains from the initial grave were excavated and all of the occupants, that is Jenny, Carl himself, his grandson and also Helena de Muth, the housekeeper, were all moved to the spot where Marx now is. When the grave was moved in 1954, the ashes of Eleanor Marx, which had ended up at the Marx Memorial Library, those ashes were added to the grave. The headstone on the grave, which is incorporated into the current monument, was the initial original headstone on the old grave, with the addition of Eleanor Marx when she was interred when the grave was moved, with the slight mistake that Eleanor Marx's birth year is incorrect. She wasn't born in, in 1856, she was born in 1855. The original headstone was incorporated into the monument designed by Lawrence Bradshaw, that was erected two years after the movement of the remains in 1956 and represents Bradshaw's impression of the power of Marx as a thinker and as a philosopher. Lawrence Bradshaw deliberately designed the Marx Memorial to represent not just Marx's persona but his power as a philosopher and as a thinker. He deliberately didn't want to make it too large. He didn't want Marx looking down on people. He wanted to have Marx more at eye level so you could look the man in the face. The main inscription on the monument is workers of all lands unite, sometimes translated as workers of the world unite, which was the final line of the Communist Manifesto written in uh, 1848, jointly authored by Marx and Engels, but as Engels said, Marx was the main writer of that document. Unsurprisingly, Marx's grave has drawn a fair amount of attention over the years, both positive and negative. Marx's imposing memorial is a major attraction at Highgate Cemetery. Highgate Cemetery gets about 70,000 visitors a year, and a significant proportion of those come to see Karl Marx. Many of them are general visitors interested in the fame of the man and his influence on philosophy. Some come for more specific reasons. Perhaps 20 years ago, we got a large number of visitors from Eastern Europe and from Russia. 
Perhaps that source of visitors has now diminished somewhat given political changes in those countries, but increasingly we see a large number of visitors from China. Given the affluence of that community and the increasing number of Chinese tourists internationally, many of them make the pilgrimage to Marx, given that he is in China still revered as one of the founder members of that philosophy. Around Karl Marx you see various other people who are buried who have deliberately chosen to be buried in the same area and there are a variety of graves you can see in the environs. One of the ones most significant perhaps is Claudia Vera Jones, a lady who was born in Trinidad, moved to New York, suffered from the persecution of communists in the early 50s, came to London appalled by the race riots in Notting Hill in 1958, started a Mardi Gras which has become the Notting Hill Carnival. But also you'll see other people close by, sympathetic to Marx, Paul Foote, the writer, socialist writer, Ralph Miliband, the father of the Miliband brothers, who was a Marxist academic, is nearby. And perhaps one of the more recent additions is the historian Eric Hobsbawm, always known as a communist historian, but he was just a great historian of the 19th and 20th centuries. Marx died on March the 14th, 1883, and every year on the anniversary of his death, a large group congregates here to pay their respects, organised by the British Communist Party and the Marx Memorial Library. Usually somewhere in excess of 50 or 60 people gather, uh, there are readings and flowers and wreaths are laid to commemorate his death. It is the biggest single time when people assemble in front of Mark's grave, although all through the year there's a regular flow of people coming here, putting candles in front of the grave, putting flowers in front of the grave, and perhaps more importantly, wishing to be photographed in front of the grave. Many people come to pay their respects to Karl Marx in a way which is respectful, but it also has attracted over the years quite a lot of unwelcome attention. In the 1970s, a small bomb was placed under the head, which blew the head off of the plinth. Fortunately, the damage was not that severe, and it was able to be repaired. More recently, a few years ago, we came in one morning and found that the headstone was daubed with blue paint. So it still attracts attention, sometimes of the most unwelcome kind, although perhaps with the change of political philosophy worldwide, less hostility than perhaps it did many years ago. There are a series of uh, public lectures that take place at the cemetery, and as part of that regular schedule of events, there is every year a Marx Memorial Lecture, where some academic or, or somebody else who's an expert in the area comes along and talks about something related to Marx. So it is a regular annual event and is advertised on the cemetery's website. And that concludes Marx's London. Many thanks to Rosemary Ashton, David McClellan, John Shepard, Diana Siklevin, and Gareth Stedman-Jones for lending their expertise. Special thanks also to Katie Pettit, Hannah Elias, Graham Holdaway, the Raphael Samuel History Center, and History Workshop Online for helping to produce this podcast. You can follow the Raphael Samuel History Center on Twitter at at RSHistCenter and History Workshop Online at at HistoryWO.
If you'd like to learn more about the subjects that we covered on this walk, there is a wealth of material available. Nearly everything that Marx and Engels ever wrote has been published, much of it online. And there are numerous biographies of Marx, including Gareth Steadman Jones's Karl Marx, Greatness and Illusion, published by Alan Lane in 2016, and David McClellan's Karl Marx, A Biography, the most recent edition of which was published in 2006 by Paul Grave Macmillan. Other recent biographies include Jonathan Sperber's Karl Marx, A 19th Century Life, published in 2013 by Live Right, and Francis Ween's Karl Marx, A Life, published in 1999 by W.W. Norton. For more on Eleanor Marx, see Rachel Holmes's Eleanor Marx, A Life, published by Bloomsbury in 2014. The German refugee community in 19th century London is covered by Rosemary Ashton's Little Germany, first published in 1986 by Oxford University Press, and in Christine Latex's Revolutionary Refugees, German Socialism in Britain, 1840 to 1880, published by Routledge in 2006. For the International Working Men's Association, Two new books include Marcello Musto's Workers Unite, The International 150 Years Later, published by Bloomsbury in 2014, and Arise Ye Wretched of the Earth, The First International in a Global Perspective, edited by Fabrice Bonsimon, Quentin Delumose, and Jeanne Moison, published by Brill in 2018. Once again, I'm Thomas Jones. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Thomas underscore C underscore Jones. Thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.